0: Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Psalm 118, verse 1, David writes, Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for He is good for his mercy endures forever. First Thessalonians 5:18 says, to be thankful in all circumstances. All circumstances? What are you talking about, Paul? All circumstances? Now you don't understand. Like, I'm going through the, the worst time of my life. I'm, I'm dealing with death or depression, or I'm dealing with loss. Thanks in all circumstances? Why should we be fa- thankful? Should we be thankful out of some sort of pity because we happen to have more stuff than other people? Should we be thankful because of some sort of obligation because somewhere somebody else has a little less freedom than we do? What is our, our point and our purpose? What is the root of our thankfulness? Aren't these Christians displaying and living a joy beyond what we understand? A hope beyond the circumstances that, The little that they have, their joy is something in them that's more valuable than what they're experiencing. Their thankfulness and their hope is greater than the pain that they feel, the loss that they experience. They're thankful for something greater than their circumstances. If you'll bear with me, I'd like to read a portion of scripture that comes out of 2 Corinthians 4. 8 through 18, in a nutshell, this sums up this whole series. You guys ready for this? Follow along with me, if you would. We're going to start in verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about the body. Stop right there for a second. Thinking about this. Could we ever understand these verses outside of the context of this series? Oh, I broke my arm on the football field. Oh, my girlfriend broke up with me. So I'm going to—really? Like, I don't think these verses are talking about our daily ales. They're talking about persecution. They're talking about standing for Christ and being rejected for it. The awkward looks at work or or losing something or losing the respect of a family— We are hard-pressed on every side, and yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That's what we're talking about. The people around the world that are being delivered to death for the sake of Jesus that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. But death is working in us. Paul is saying that we're being persecuted for our faith, and he's writing a letter to a church that at this moment isn't being persecuted. And so Paul is challenging them and saying, may you have the passion to live for Jesus with the same passion that we're willing to die for Jesus. Isn't that perfect for right now? For this series, as we're looking at people with that kind of passion, may it stir in us a hope and a passion to live for him. Since we have the same spirit of faith as they do, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things. Are for your sakes. Paul's saying that all this persecution, everything that we're doing to try to bring you the Word of God, to try to tell you about Jesus, this is for you. We're doing this for you guys. Having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Did you catch that? All these persecutions, all these trials and everything, they're all worth it so that you can give thanks. Because of your circumstances? No. Because you're in persecution right now or not? No. Because you know life through Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. What? Paul, what are you talking about? You've been beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us as far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is a great representation of a persecuted Christian, and he's working for something that'll last beyond just his body, beyond just his circumstances. Another guy in the Bible that I respect a whole lot is King David. You remember as a boy, like he kills the giant, right? He hits the giant so hard, the giant bends over and he grabs the giant sword and cuts off his head with it, kills him with his own sword. What a boss. He then goes on to become a general in the armies of Saul. Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time. And then God puts favor on David and has him anointed by Samuel to someday be king of the nation. And Saul was not having it. This guy who's getting a whole bunch of glory, and now someone's telling me that he's going to be king instead of me or my son? I don't think so. And so Saul goes on a campaign to kill David. And David has to flee for his life, him and some of his faithful men from the army whenever he ran it. They stop by a place and some priests come out and they give David food and water, and someplace to stay. And then David moves on, and Saul comes behind him. Was David here? What did you do for him? Did you try to help him? And Saul kills 85 priests to try to find and get to David. And then he goes into the town where the priest's family lives, and he kills their wives and their children and their infants, trying to get to David, trying to kill him and anyone that served him. And so he corners David. He gets David on the side of a mountain, And he brings his army up against the side. So David has to move around to the opposite side and hide in a cave. And Saul is wrapping his army around, closing in to bring him death, to finally get rid of this man who has caused him so many problems. And it was in that cave, in that moment, in desperation, that David writes this next Psalm. And we're going to read this Psalm together. It's Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. That's a pretty good cry right now. He is hours away from being completely surrounded and his death being imminent. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed away. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. My soul is among lions, I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit for me into the midst of it. They themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory, awake, Lute and harp, basically, get out the guitars, get out the drums. We're about to sing. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David. If you were to study the psalm, you'd break it into three stanzas. The first stanza is David defining his relationship with God. God, I trust you. I'm in your hands. I'm under your wings and you're my refuge. The second stanza is David talking about his predicament. Lord, here's my problem. I really need you to deal with it. People are setting traps for me. Their teeth are like arrows trying to kill me. I'm being surrounded and I'm in trouble, God, help. And then the third stanza, David changes his tone entirely into complete praise and worship before there was ever salvation before he ever knew he was going to make it out alive. He is worshiping and giving praise and living in thankfulness for who God is relationship request, giving thanks God. Here's our relationship. God, here's my need. God, you are worthy and I give you thanks for who you are. You know, so often we jump first to the second stanza. Hey, God, here's my need. Ee-wee, ee-wee, ee-wee. Trying to rub the magic lamp and get the genie to give us what we want, right? We totally abandon the first and third, where we actually spend time in relationship, growing in the knowledge of who God is, worshiping in the midst of our need and our pain we just like to go to Santa Claus and bring him our list. But you know what? Around the world, when we're looking at the persecuted church, just like what this gentleman said, they spend way more time focused on their gratefulness and a lot less time on their requests. David quotes in this psalm something that's very special that I've never caught before. David quotes a story that he had heard his whole life. It was a story about his own family, about his great-grandmother. And it was a story that was passed down from generation to generation because their their ancestry was so important to them. And he would have heard this as a little boy around the campfire with his brothers. And his dad would have told the story and they all would have been on the edge of their seat. Tell it again, dad. It was a story about his great-grandmother, Ruth. Ruth was a woman And I don't have enough time to go into the story. It's beautiful and it's incredible. And if you haven't read it yet, read it. Ruth was a woman who lost her husband. She lost her brother-in-law. She lost her father-in-law. And she was alone, except for Naomi, her mother-in-law. And it was the two of them trying to survive. Ruth would have such loyalty and faithfulness to her mother-in-law that she would actually leave her own country in the place where her family was from and her own idols to follow Naomi where she would go home into a country that Ruth didn't know anything about. And she would say, Naomi, I choose you and I choose your God over anything that was back home for me. And the only way that they survived was Ruth would go every day and she would go into a field and she would follow. It wasn't her field. She would follow behind the reapers and the servants who were gathering wheat. And anything that they missed, anything that they neglected, anything that wasn't good enough, she would pick up and gather little tiny seeds of wheat. And then she would bring her handfuls home and they would make bread and her and Naomi would survive another day. Until one day she encounters Boaz, who runs into her in the field, and he's like, what are you doing here? And she unpacks her story, and he'd already heard about her reputation and her faithfulness to Naomi, and he says this to her. And this is so beautiful. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, he says, May the Lord repay your work. A full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. This language of being under the wings literally means under the hem of your garment. It's the idea of maybe somebody is in the rain and you take your coat and hold it over them to get them to safety. To say that you were brought under somebody's wings meant that they offered you protection, provision, and they cared for you. And Boaz is saying, for all of your generosity, may God bring you under his wings to provide for you and protect you. As you fast forward in the story, Ruth, out of great courage, and she does it because of Naomi, she goes to Boaz and actually offers to him to marry her. Great courage, because she knows that she can never take care of Naomi by herself as she gets older. And if Boaz would only marry her, Naomi would have care for the rest of her life. Not only that, but she would also receive the land that her husband had to give up when they fled the country. And so out of, again, selflessness, she goes to Boaz and makes a marriage proposal. And she uses these words. She uses Boaz's own words. She says, oh, this is Boaz. He finds her and he says, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. She beseeches Boaz to fulfill his own prayer to God using his own language. Ruth would become the great grandmother of David. And nobody cared about this family story until he became the great King David. And they looked into the genealogies and it would take four or 500 years before they would finally write down this story and include it. But this was a story that David grew up hearing All the time. And so in one of the darkest days of his life, when everything was going wrong and he knew that his end was near, David begins his song with the words that he heard so often growing up. Ancestral words that were pregnant with a promise of provision, care, and protection. They became the words of his faith in the middle of his time. And this is the first line of that Psalm, Psalm 57, verse 1. Do we have that? Okay, I can read it. There we go. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you and in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. David is finding his hope, his protection, and his provision, not in his circumstances, not what he can see with the armies, not in the men that are quaking behind him in the cave. He's finding his hope in his God. That is so beautiful. Psalm 118, 1. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Why? Why do we give thanks to Yahweh? Do we give thanks to to God? Because our circumstances are good? No, no, no. Look, look. I like this down here. Give thanks to the Lord for a reason for giving thanks is he is good. When our circumstances have failed us, there is still one thing that is always true when everything is going wrong and every emotion in our body is saying, this is the end, it's over, we've failed. There is one unmoving light of hope, of joy, of peace, of love. And that is Jesus Christ. We also have a family history of stories passed down to us about an ancestor that would take us under his wings And he is still alive, sitting at the right hand of God. He teaches us that we can find strength through his Holy Spirit. Paul writes, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he's talking about hard times. This is again, the Paul, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content I know how to be without a base, without stuff. I know how to abound, to have lots of stuff. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whenever I would be running a couple miles and I'd try to grab this verse, I was totally out of context. The context that Paul wants us to grasp is that we can do all things as in we can find contentment and thankfulness and joy no matter where we are, what we're doing, if life is up here or down here, who's against us, how bad things seem, we can find joy and contentment. We can do even this because of Christ. How, Paul? How do we pull this off? Make it simple, Paul. All right, let's rewind the chapter a little bit. Let's back up to a couple of verses before this. And Paul actually gives us some background. This is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing. Man, I stress a lot. You guys stress? A little worry? You'll come? Yeah, me too. Me too. Be stressed about nothing. But in everything by prayer, supplication. And by the way, those are two different things. I was always like, wow, that's redundant. But think about this. Supplication is asking for something. Prayer is spending time in communion with God. So we have we have building a relationship. We have making our requests known with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace, oh, I need peace in the face of my anxiety, of God, which surpasses all understanding everything that you can understand God has peace that can cover that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus how can people live in this with 19 other people dying every day and find contentment because there's a peace that passes all understanding and God guards their hearts prayer Request, thanksgiving. Doesn't this remind you of what David wrote? Psalm 57, he opens up with relationship, then he makes his requests, and then he praises. Coincidence? I think not. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, by supplication, and with thanksgiving. Relationship, request, giving thanks. Pat Carlos, who came up and did three prayer points of her bracelets, she gave me permission to use a powerful testimony in her own life, and I want to do my best to give it justice. Some years ago, between her son Michael's birth, And her daughter Madeline's birth. Hi Madeline, you're awesome. Pat lost a baby. And she went out to her car and she wept. And she realized by the voice of the Holy Spirit that she could either find strength in her God or she could find depression and be destroyed by the situation. And it was there that things started clicking for her in a way they never had before, at her absolute lowest, her deepest pain and deepest need. God met her there, and she found strength. And she said, and I quote, He is strong in our weakness, and God will get every bit of glory out of this tragedy. What kind of God? How powerful of a God do we serve that can get glory Out of tragedy, and then empower his people to see that. When Madeline was only a couple weeks old, she dealt with some very serious sickness. She would spend at least a week in the hospital, even under incubation. She stopped breathing several times, and the doctors needed to hang on to her. She wasn't breathing on full oxygen. At the same time and during the same week, Miko lost his father and Pat lost her father all at the same time. At the hospital, because Pat had spent so much time that the nurses knew her and everything, but after the deaths of their two parents, the nurses got awkward and they weren't sure what to say. And how how do we talk to someone who's in such incredible pain and loss? And so whenever the nurses would come in where there used to be conversation, there would only be awkward silence. And so Pat, again, with the same resolve as before, God, you're going to get every bit of glory out of this tragedy. She would start engaging the nurses in conversation. She would start saying things like, God is in control, and he is going to get us through. Over and over and over again, she would break the silence with this until she was actually able to minister the gospel to the nurses and share with them her own testimonies. He is strong in our weakness. And I'm quoting Pat, whether she lives or dies, it doesn't change the fact that he's my peace. He's my strength. He's my comfort. God will give me the strength to get through the day. And he always shows himself faithful. Because of these situations in her life, Pat has been able to minister to other women who have lost their babies and give them hope and peace in the middle of their depression. She's been able to give testimony to what God did in Madeline's life. She's been a witness because of the tragedy. God was able to use every bit of tragedy for his glory. You see, when we run out of temporary things, it's a reference back to the Corinthians passage, when we start running out of temporary things to be thankful for we can then turn to our greatest gift that's Jesus and the relationship that he gives us with the father through his death and perhaps maybe if we start finding more and more joy joy and value in him in what is eternal maybe those things that are temporary will start seeming to have less and less value having less and less control over us all of a sudden So many things that we look at for entertainment that are so important start becoming really less important. And that bum guy or girlfriend or whatever, just compared to the majesty of the hope that we have, these these temporary things are so shallow. Maybe that is the hope that so many Christians are living with. Because everything that was temporary is taken away, all that's left for them, is what is eternal? Let's check our hearts tonight. Let's take a minute. What blessings are we taking for granted every day? Let's check our hearts even further. Are we taking a relationship with the Father? that was paid for with Jesus' blood for granted, I do. So often. Let's start to begin to pray regularly that God's going to soften our numb hearts and that the value of who he is, what he gave, and what he offers, not what we get from him, but who he is that we receive, will become so much more important than what's temporary. It's shallow. You see, salvation isn't meant to be the end goal of our Christian walk. It's not about trying to get someone to say a prayer or oh, you finally did it, and now we have hell insurance. Salvation is is the the launching pad. That's where it begins. If all you said was a prayer and your life looks the same, your prayer was empty. Our salvation begins with choosing Jesus and then repenting of our old lifestyle, committing completely to him. And that's where it starts. And after that, we begin to grow in a deeper relationship with God, the father who begins to speak to us and lead us and guide us and give us hope and joy, who gives us the peace that passes all understanding, who begins to change our focus from what we need to what we actually need, actually from what we just want to what we actually need. There's another story from the persecuted church about a little girl in the Philippines. She was only 10 years old and she would hang out outside the door of a church. And the pastor would invite her in over and over again. And she wanted to be there, but her dad had made it very clear that she was to never go inside. So she would stand outside the door and listen and sing along and learn about who Jesus was. And one day she finally, she finally broke that invisible barrier. She gave her heart to Jesus and they baptized her. And as a sign of what Jesus did in the inside in her baptism, the pastor gave her a white dress a beautiful little white dress that showed the inward cleansing, the purity that Jesus gives. And she went home on top of the world excited, but her father was not. He took her out in the street and he beat her and beat her and kicked her until she laid bloody in the street. The pastor wondered why she didn't show up the next day And so he and a couple other members of the church went to her hometown to try to find her and find out what happened to her. And they found her. They quickly, they took her and they took her back to a place that she could get some medical help. She was dying. There was no saving her. And they changed her and they cleaned her and they washed her hair and and they they laid her down. And she said, please, can I have my white dress back? No, darling, it's it's bloody and it's dirty. You, You don't want that dress back. A, I want to hold it. So they found her dress and they, they held, gave it to her and she held it close and she said, I want to give it to Jesus. He bled for me and I want to show him that I'm willing to bleed for him too. I want to give it to Jesus. <laughs> Do we cling to our salvation like this? Do we give thanks to the God who paid it all so that we could know him and have that kind of that kind of freedom? No, we take it for granted. I take it for granted. That is, that is a joy and a thankfulness that's right out in front of us. And the more we come to know Christ, the more we pursue Him and love Him and let Him love us, the more we realize that He's worth everything. And He's worth giving thanks in the good times and the bad times. And when everything is falling apart, and when everything seems to be going our way, He is worthy of praise and thanks, not for our circumstances, but for who He is, that He loved us that much. Christians like Paul and Silas and Helen Barheini, under torture and fear find joy in singing in their prisons. Or Christians in their deepest moments like Pat or the little Philippine girl give thanks in their circumstances. How do they do it? They find refuge under the wings of a loving God. Hope and thankfulness What they have to be thankful for is greater than their circumstances. If we woke up tomorrow with only the things we thank God for today, what will we have? Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, Jesus Christ, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. All right, family, let's pray. Lord, break our hearts. Move head knowledge to relationship. Lord, let all of us discover something that is so worth living for. Break our hearts, Lord. Let us hurt and be broken for our brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering right now. Lord, I pray that we can never get this out of our heads. Lord, continue for us to see through your eyes and hurt with your heart. Lord, and I pray that that hurt, that open vision extends into our world right here in Homa, Louisiana, that we start seeing the people around us that are hurting and reaching out to them, praying for them, loving them, showing them who our hope is in. Lord, I pray that because of this series, many people are gonna to come to know Jesus Christ that would have been overlooked by the people in this room. But Lord, you're gonna send us as ambassadors into the world around us. Empower us with your Holy Spirit to have the right words and the right love. Open our mouths with courage and strength. Let the relationship that we have, that you have birthed in us, be contagious, to never be stomped out, You're the King over all creation and you gave it all for us. Lord, I pray that we'll be willing to give it all for you. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters right now that are sweating or freezing in a container just like this. Lord, be with them right now. I pray that you bring a song to their lips that gives them hope. Let them find refuge under your wings. Heavenly Father, be with them. Let them lock arms, and I pray that you're going to crush the hearts of the guards, and they're going to see people that never deny their faith, and the guards themselves are going to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you free them out of these boxes. Send them into the community, into the world to bring awareness to what's going on, but even more than awareness to bring you to the nations around. Lord, I pray that Christian persecution is no longer the best kept secret Lord, I pray that you are no longer the best kept secret, but that you come loudly from every mouth, beginning in this room into all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.